This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast uh, with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins coming to you from the National Stadium in Karachi. Here we are, what, two days before the second test match. Uh, a lot of intrigue around the pitch, the Australian training happening in front of us. We're in the colourful yellow seats down here after what has been a, a wild old week in Australian cricket. Uh, the death of Shane Warne has been the biggest story probably in cricket for many years uh, it's gone all around the world it's something that we'll talk about at some length today um, having taken some time I guess a, a few days to have a breath and not not be plunging in immediately uh, to to try to talk about his place in our lives um, we'll also be talking about what's happening on this Pakistan tour uh, and the Women's World Cup which has been absolutely on fire with some close finishes and some uh, some great individual performances happening there so heaps on in the world of cricket but it's nice to sit down for a weekly show and, and have time to talk at some length hello Adam hello Jeff yeah it's a splendid study in this it was uh uh, it was finished in 1955 and it has that feel to it. We're sitting in the grandstand here and it, it strikes me mm-hmm. in the same way that the old Olympic stand did at the MCG before it was knocked down about 15 or so years ago. That was obviously put up in, in the same year, 1954 and 1955, in time for the Melbourne Olympic Games. And yeah, I, I love the feeling of this old stadium and to stick with that Melbourne theme, even the, the colourful seats Bay on Bay, it, it's uh, a reminder of my childhood with the, uh, uh, the VFL Park, Waverley Park seats in those last few seasons. So um, I think a lot of this show will be talking about our childhoods actually, because that's the the main hook for Shane Warne's career, of course, it is Sam Perry, our colleague, mm. and who did a great job with the Great Cricketer podcast in their tribute to Shane Warne four or five days ago, which in hindsight we should have recorded ours then, but, but so it goes. He made the point that you start forming long-term memories when you're seven years old, and yep. Shane Warne made his test debut when I was seven years old. So as far as spot-on nailing my childhood, mm. uh, and when he finished his test career uh, in 2007, I suppose I was 23, so uh, just moving into a, a new phase of my life that bridges that perfectly. So on that basis, uh, it was obviously dreadful news, the worst news uh, to receive on the way home, even if Shane Warne as a, a figure or, or, or a presence in our lives in recent years was a lot different to the one that it was when he was playing, when I would have done sort of anything for his progress as a player. I would have forgiven him for, for any misdemeanour or mm. anything else along the way. But yeah, we, we had the chance now to dig into that. It, it, was, it was completely, I mean... People in sport use the word surreal too much. It was it was unreal. It would it didn't feel real. We were, we were in the cab on the way home, and you you were the one who said it to me. Shane Warner's died. Just that sentence, and I thought either this is some kind of prank or yeah. or there's something awry or something. You know, I, my response was no, no, <laughs> incorrect. You've you've got this news and told me, but that can't be right because it just it didn't feel like it could be right, and it still doesn't really. Yeah. So. As you say, we're in the back of the car and there's a tweet from Fox Cricket that goes out and it's, it's retweeted around and that's at like sort of 7.02pm or something. And mm. I think I mentioned on, on The Daily Show that we were so happy and buzzing really when leaving Raw Pindi on day one. It wasn't a particularly great day of cricket, but just because of the, the moment in history that we'd witnessed and it was a great day. From the moment we woke up to the moment we left, it was a great day. And then the, the sort of the gear shift that all of us went through um, mm. when taking in that news and you're right there's that sense of oh well there must be a mistake Yeah, I think Gideon Haig made the point that when someone feels as uh, 
larger, larger in life, or someone is as larger in life as that's poorly articulated. But you know what I'm trying to say. If they are larger yeah. than life, yeah. um, then you don't sort of conceive of them not being around. Um, no. And that is a uh, that is a, a massive shock to the system, and, and thus began a number of days of contemplation about who he was and what he meant to all of us. Yeah, it's a, it's that contemplation that's um, it's complicated. You know, it's the old it's your Michael Clark line. It's the Facebook status. It's complicated. It, it's in a lot of ways. I'm. I mean, I'm glad that we're recording this a few days later. I, I think because it's given me time to you know digest Every, everybody's had something to write every writer yep. we know has written on it everybody's you know including us um everybody's had a perspective on it that's been this kind of Shane Warne festival of taking yeah. in everybody's different reminiscences and contemplations and so on and, and then thinking about that here and, and I it's I'm glad we're doing this on a podcast because it gives us more room to actually have the detail of the conversation it was it was harder to to do in the written form I wanted to be very careful about what I wrote because you know I, I didn't want to be striking the wrong note at the wrong times it is complicated where anybody who listens to this show would know that like I mean Shane Warne's someone who has frustrated us greatly at times as as a person more in recent years um he's been the butt of a lot of jokes there's, there's always been something very funny about Shane Warne and this goes right back to the beginning he's always had a lot of comic potential sort of being made the butt of the joke there were 25 years in Melbourne where you would kill at any comedy festival if you made a Shane Warne text message joke yes. you know it probably still works to this day Shane Warne being paid to quit cigarettes and then being caught smoking cigarettes and then chasing some 10 year old New Zealand around to steal his camera to get the photo of <laughs> him smoking the cigarettes I mean these things are inherently funny there was something comical about him in the way there wasn't about any other Australian you know Steve Waugh was never funny no one's ever like oh got a good Steve Waugh gag for you no. you know, you know the Madden to Swords uh, yeah. storming out of the press conference so you've ruined it yeah yeah you're right there was there there was something inherently humorous about Warren mm. and just the way that he depicted himself like I, I had a couple of people say he didn't take himself too seriously I'm not sure whether that's quite right I mean uh, I think yeah, he I did take himself seriously in that he cared a lot about the way he was seen and his about image, being liked about being liked it's probably the best way of putting it but at the same time, when things did go awry, he seemed to have a pretty good way of letting it brush off him. I remember there was a day in yeah. England a couple of years ago, it might have been three or four years ago, when he was doing some work with Sky Cricket, where there was a, a screaming front-page story in the Sunday Sun. I'm mm. talking, you know, quintessential, scandalous, worn story type thing involving a, a couple of women and all the rest. So I can't remember the specific details, but nobody else picked up the story you know, a story like that would normally prompt a lot of extra coverage, mm -hmm. but there was this kind of like, ah, oh, well, that's just warning, and no yeah. one else really went with it. And, you know, no judgment on whatever, like, do what you want to do. But no one else had that, almost, not Teflon, because Teflon implies none of it stuck. Some of it did, of course it did. We wouldn't be talking about it so early in the tribute yeah. if it didn't. But the fact that he could just get back on the horse, say it was a private matter, say that it wasn't a matter for anybody else, as he so uh -huh. often did, that was a regular refrain of his, it's between me and my family, and get on with it. He was... He was someone who had this really thick sense of self. And by thick, mm. I mean, like, it took a lot to completely get through. Yeah. And maybe there were a lot of people around him who told him on a daily basis how great he was because he was. Mm. And maybe that did lead to a lack of self-awareness at times. But yeah. that doesn't diminish the type of presence that he was. He was a giant force mm. in the media cycle. That on Warren book that Gideon wrote uh, summed it up so well about he, and, and the piece that he wrote um, in tribute as well about the superstardom that followed Warren from the moment that he burst onto the scene not mm -hmm. immediately as far as a test cricketer but you know, 92, 93 and on, and on it went. He was just a giant yeah. 
Uh, there was nothing he said that people didn't want to devour. Well, and, and I think that's why we're talking about this now, right, is that even even in this point, even in the, in the last couple of years, um, with him in his 50s as a commentator, we, we talked about him on the show often, about things that he said, uh, about initiatives he was trying to push with reforms to laws of the game, about some of his terrible commentary stints and all the rest of it. Because, And I think we were frustrated because it's there's like this boy, boyhood idol, you know, someone you love as a kid, who ends up giving you the shits as an adult and you're frustrated by that. You want them to be great all the time. You want them to be better. And so he was someone we criticised a lot on the show. And I think I just wanted to front foot that to say, you know, we're not going to come in and do a, a glowing tribute about how great he is uh, and pretend that we never criticised him because we did. No, be and there were problems yeah. and there were shortcomings. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, marital infidelity or whatever. It, it, was, it was not understanding things, being very opinionated about things that he wasn't really across uh, jumping in both with both feet to issues that he probably should have stayed out of and that sort of thing all of that happened and he was also an absolute magician as a player in a way that it was emotionally significant to both of us and all of those things are true at the same time yeah and i think that's where i'd like to focus most of our conversation it's with the latter point there that you don't get to sort of pick those handful of people who are crucial to Mm when you fell in love with anything that becomes a lifelong passion as cricket is for both of us. And he is absolutely front and centre. We had a long conversation when Dean James passed away. That was the other one for me. Mm -hmm. And in some respects, more for me at that really early nub of it all and the sense of injustice with Dino was that he didn't get to... uh, He didn't get to... Maybe fully get, express, yeah, fully his express talent. it. Maybe in the same way that Shane Warne did, and there is a bit of a dovetailing there, isn't there? Mm. Like Warne takes seven for fifty-two against the Windies in in nineteen ninety-two. That's three Test matches after yep. Dino's been dumped. So there is a bit of a dovetail between mm-hmm. there was the Victorian before and the Victorian after, and they played limited overs cricket together. But yep. if just focusing on the Test cricket they played, and then yeah, from from that point forth, yeah, did every kid in Victoria and maybe Australia get that unauthorised biography for Christmas mm-hmm. in 1994? I'm pretty sure they did. I think that was the, <laughs> the Ken Peace one. Who has an autobiography or a boy, not a, who has a biography, sorry, yeah. written about them in such depth when they're 24 or something or 25? Who, who's one of to, the wisdom players of the century when they played for seven years? Yeah, that's right. That, that in hindsight, looks like one of the most prescient things ever yeah. as far as, but also it was thoroughly correct. By that point, he had completely changed the face of modern cricket. He'd become the most successful wicket-taking spinner ever by then. I think he'd gone past Gibbs 309 by that point. Yes, he would have because his 300th wicket was in January 2008. So by then, you know, 18 months on, he definitely would have been beyond Gibbs. So even by then at the halfway mark of his career, noting that there is a slump and a trough that that happens just before the turn of the century. Mm. And he comes out of that by winning a World Cup mm. in stunning circumstances. He's the only reason why Australia won that World Cup. And that there were other contributors. That probably sealed his um, his elevation to that fire. I, 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 I suppose it did. That it was white ball cricket. Given the too. timing. Given the timing. But Different yeah, format. Because, you know, he comes back and plays in that Ashes test mm. in 99. And I won't forget this. He plays that Sydney test match in yep. 1999. He gets a couple of stumpings in the first innings. Yep. But, I mean, Stuart McGill has taken over from Warren and done really, really well. Uh, and Colin, Colin Miller is playing in, in the team as well. They play three spinners, as they might do here, by the way. I, I saw, um, uh, I've seen a few um, cues, uh, clues that, that point towards maybe all yeah. three Australian spinners playing uh, this week at Karachi. They don't do it too often, but they did play three at Sydney in that Ashes Test match, which McGill... Task Frankie. Here goes Australia's <laughs> security boss um, down below us. He'll yes. know. Yeah, he knows everything. But yeah, Australia dominated that test. McGill dominated that test. It was, uh, I think he took 12 
well for the match and Warren yeah. was the, the secondary item there. And that's how it went in the Caribbean. Warren gets dropped. So there is this bit that, that falls in the middle and that's when I, I couldn't have been barracking harder for him. Mm. I know he never let go of being let out of the team or left out from the team, sorry, for the final test in the Caribbean early in 1999. But for me, that, that felt personal that he was left out, even though objectively, mm. with the benefit, benefit of hindsight, it was absolutely the right call to make. Yeah. They won the test. McGill was the, the primary spinner in the team. Miller was playing his role, and you know, yeah. so it went. But still, I remember that feeling as a fan. I remember how proud I was that it was him as a Victorian winning that World Cup. Yep. You know, the amazing comeback to the test team after that for a number of brilliant years. But then the injury. So it's 2003 when he misses the, the majority of the Ashes series with the, with the bung shoulder. 99, 2000, no, sorry, 2000, 2001 when the Windies were out. And again, it was McGill because Warren mm. missed with yet more surgery, the broken finger that summer, I think it was. So there were times when he was away from the game that you had a chance to appreciate just how important he was. And there was never a sense that he was a guarantee or a lock to return. Even the drugs ban in 2003-04, when he played that second 11 game at the Junction Oval, of course I was there. That was, well, who knows? Maybe you lose the magic when you are away for 12 months, especially in such an embarrassing scandal. And that's what Mm -hmm. it was, when Mm -hmm. he was very lucky only to be banned for 12 months. Extremely lucky. Dick Pound was gunning for him. Remember, he was the uh, the water boss at the time, saying it should have been four years. Yeah, Peter Taylor was was the man on the tools on behalf of CA, and they gave him the year ban, and, and most thought, geez, got out of jail there, mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to play any organised cricket for 12 months, and yeah, who knows what he'd come back and be, and what does he come yeah. back as? You know, four, they win in Sri Lanka, he's extraordinary, likewise in India later in yeah. the year, final frontier, mm-hmm. and then he goes on this epic run to finish his career, where he averages about, I don't know, 20-odd for his last 200 wickets, or thereabouts. I can it's tell remarkable. you, Adam, uh, 217 wickets after he returned from the drugs ban uh, at 24. Right, so I, I might have remembered it as being a little bit better again, but still, he was—he didn't have—he didn't bowl the flipper quite as much then. Although he did at bowl all, it once really. to um, Sajid Mahmood to finish that test uh, mm-hmm. at Melbourne in, in 06, his yeah. last test. When he—I remember him bowling this flipper, and I was sitting right behind the bowler's arm in the Great Southern Stand, and almost going up to appeal with him as the ball pitched, knowing yeah. full well what was about to happen uh-huh. uh, when he was caught on the crease. It's a really lovely memory of mine. But well, let, let's let's take it back. Okay. Let's go back to the start because everybody remembers one for 150 mm-hmm. on, on debut. You know, that's one of those famous things. He gets Ravi Shastri caught for a double hundred. Uh, Dean Jones took the catch, which he is did. nice. It's yeah. a nice little moment. But, you know, people go, oh, bad start for Warren, one for 150. Um, they don't really factor in that he follows up in the next test with none for 18 and none for 60. Yes. Gets dropped. Then he plays in Colombo, none for 107 in the first innings. So across his first four innings, he's one for 335. And you think, you know, at that point, he's probably thinking, "This is it." You know, I'm n- I'm not going to get picked again. Then he has that. We've talked about this on Story Time. We've we had have, this number yeah. come in before: three for eleven in thirty-one balls. To, it's against the tail, but he runs through Sri Lanka's tail when they need sixteen to win, and he wins the Test match for Australia. And at that point, he gets purchased in the team when he could very well have been punted after that yeah, I think first it's, test. I think it's three for none at the end as well. Yeah, you know, a deficit of two hundred ninety-one runs. On the first innings, the biggest turnaround in, in test history, I think it is, to, to claim a victory on the final day. So, And we didn't see that. Like, this is one of those stories that you know, we knew it happened, mm. but it wasn't on television. So there's a great clip of them covering it on Sports World on Channel 7. Yeah. And you know, I think it's Keith Stackpole with Bruce McAvaney going through and them talking up this kid Warren who's yeah, done yeah. this thing. But you're right. Like there's, there's a, the, the bit at the start, there's no guarantee. I remember when he was picked... 
I remember where I was, my grandparents' house, when mm. this Victorian is going to play test cricket and being just, as a kid, so happy that a Victorian was going to be in the team. It meant so much. You, know, you become quite parochial when you're a kid. Um, and then watching all of that one for 150 and, you know, wincing, mm. thinking, oh, no, it's not worked out, mm-hmm. only for it to yeah. s- start getting on a, a big role in, in 92, 93. But that's what, and that's what he thought as well. So, and this is something I keep coming back to, right? He said all of, all of the tributes, people always talk about Warney being this aura of confidence, this, this unlimited self-belief. I don't think that was actually true. I certainly don't think it was true at the start because you go back, even, even the way he's described in Gideon's book on Warn as being a young guy when he's sort of 21, 22, whatever it is, and yep. being interviewed by Gideon and he's so, Warn's so desperate to be liked. You know, he's, there's that description of him standing in the pub at the pool table practising different yeah. leg breaks with the billiard balls or whatever. But he really wants people to like him. And, uh, and I've watched a bunch of that early video, early interviews and so on, uh, and he's, he's quite shy. I mean, he speaks differently. He's got, you know, there's that kind of 90s Australian accent that doesn't really exist so much anymore. He's got a bit of that. Like, he, sp- he spoke so differently right. at the end of his life. You know, much more, much more projecting, much more bravado. And in those sort of interviews, he's a bit, his shoulders are a bit hunched. He's a little bit quiet. He's, he's a little bit shy in front of the camera. And he has this line where he says something like, oh, I was just really, really glad to get a wicket at the end. Like, I just thought, okay, at least I've got one. At least I've got one <laughs> test wicket and I'm done. And he's pretty much thought that was it. And he probably thought that was it at the halfway point of that Sri Lanka game as well and thought, you know, he got picked a couple of times more than he'd expected, but he was going to go out with one wicket to his name and whatever, at least he got one. And that, that full bravado one I don't think came into existence until later. Maybe it was in him, but it didn't, it didn't flourish until later on. Yeah, I think after that 92 Boxing Day test, yeah, it's the flipper to Richie Richardson, but the mm-hmm. Windies are cruising towards a victory target of, you know, 300-odd, Phil Simmons 100. Uh, and then Warren takes you know, his, his seven wickets in a hurry yeah. and finishes off that match in like an hour. Seven for 52. Seven for 52. And suddenly he's like, you know, front page, back page mm. stuff. It's at his home ground. And yes, at that point, uh, the debate was over. Shane Warren mm. was Australia's spinner. Yeah. You know, any sense of him competing for his spot through that first... 12 months in international cricket, even allowing for what happened in the second test in Sri Lanka, that is completely washed away Mm. from the moment he has that performance on his home ground. I can picture it now, you know, I can can see his face and his blonde hair. I haven't watched many of these wickets back because we've been so busy in Pakistan, but that I can see. The the Richie Richardson flipper, I can see back in my mind's eye because that's when all doubt was removed. He was yeah. going to be a star. What, what I find interesting here, though, is there is a quirk there, right? So there's a 7 for 52. Then that's the first test. Then they go to Sydney and he gets smashed around by Lara. Yeah, so the, the, he, wasn't, he didn't get picked at the start of the summer. He got well, brought sorry, back to Melbourne. First, yeah, yeah so he, he didn't get picked at, at Brisbane. And uh, they, I think they went with Peter Taylor, maybe mm. with Greg Matthews, possibly. It's funny what you remember and what yeah. you don't. But, yeah, he gets brought in. Then you're right. The next test match, Lara goes after him. But, the, yeah, so this is interesting. Gets, gets bashed around by Lara. In Adelaide, that's the one-run... Yep. result barely bowls it's two overs in the first innings barely mm-hmm. bowls in the second innings so it's like I don't know if they didn't trust him or he wasn't right or Tim May went nuts at the other end that's why yeah. <laughs> um, but but you know barely barely got a trundle uh, they get beaten by an innings in Perth so he only gets to bowl once so after Melbourne 
the rest of the series, 196 for two. That's his analysis. Yeah. And and Australia lose the series. And you think even at that point he might be wondering. And it's and when they go to New Zealand. New Zealand. That, that's yeah. when it really blows up, right? That's when he that's when he just runs the table. Seventeen wickets in three tests, averages fifteen against them. And that's a decent New Zealand side. That's Martin Crow in there, John Wright, Andrew Jones, Ken Rutherford, Mark Greatbatch, Chris Cairns, Adam Perore. Like that's a, a proper New Zealand side he's up against. And he absolutely mashes them and then flies straight to England and bowls the Gatting ball. Then it's away. Yeah, then it's absolutely away. Uh, then he's and he's bigger than Ben Hur and all the rest. But mm-hmm. yeah, that New Zealand series, uh, Rob Alinda pulled out some clips. I think he made it his Christmas special in about 2015, where he found all the white ball video. Oh yeah. And I mean, I don't know how many one day internationals Warren played in that series. It was at least one. Might have been a couple. And it's just like wow. Warren Mark One. Mm-hmm. Warren at his rawest. And I don't think that comes in the first Test match. By the way, you look at his action on debut. He hasn't quite developed yet into in, but the bowler he is 12 months later at the G in December 92 is closer to the finished product yeah. and then by 93 he is absolutely set to yeah. um, take over the world that 93 Ashes he takes I think it was 34 wickets and you know ball of the century sure but I was just as excited by when he uh, he bowled uh, Gooch around his legs, I think it mm-hmm. was, and my dad was taping for me every minute of uh, of play. I was going to bed early in order yep. to wake up at like five in the morning and watch as much of the day's play fast forwarding as uh-huh. I could. In other words, watching all the Shane Warne bowl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, as you say, um, it, he was away uh, once you get beyond the 93 Ashes series with a moment that will be replayed forever. I watched the, the documentary on Amazon about Warney, I don't know, a week or two before I left on this tour. And I can't say it was, it was the best piece of television I've ever watched. It was a hagiography. Good on him for having the ability to pry out how many hundreds of thousands of dollars from Screen Australia for yeah. something that didn't have a critical word about him. Well played Shane Warne once again. Mm. But they talk about the ball of the century and he, and, he, and he talks about his nerves at the top of his mark. And They didn't talk about John the Bookie much, did they? Not at all. But again, like yeah. credit to Shane for being able to um, have a doco made that's meant to be warts and all and avoid some of the biggest well, scandals of his life. Avoid any of the warts. Good on him. I mean, not, oh, I couldn't do that. You couldn't no. do that. You've got to be as big as Shane want to have that um, that kind of that privileged existence but no so 93 he's spoken about however many times and mm. you, you keep sort of moving forward moving forward that mid 90s period when he was bowling to Daryl Cullinan in, in 93 94 yeah. that was art I was at the MCG for a one day international when he bowled after dark they flicked the lights on and that roar around the MCG I was sitting in the Olympic stand we mentioned that earlier warnie warnie I mean you know it's hardly the most original thing no. that, that Victorians are going nuts for but it's the whole G and it's Everyone yeah, yeah. realising this is our guy and he's oh, yeah. a fucking superstar and we're going to revel in it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, and, and the sounds and the opposite. I was there the night when he did his shoulder and that one yeah, day of diving too. across and there was, it was just Silent. shocked. Yeah. Shock, you, could, you could hear the, the, the dismay. But that period, I mean, that's what uh, Daniel Bredy calls the, the, it's like the peak freak worn yeah. up until the first finger injury. Uh, and even, I guess, through that up, up to the shoulder in, in 99. That five years. So there's a, a five-year period. He plays 15 series in which he averages over 30 in one of them. Every, everything else is teens or, or, or 20s in yep. terms of how he's taking his wickets. 288 wickets at 22 in just just under five years. And that includes the 8 for 71 against England that ended up being his best innings. I mean, that. You know, you start with the flipper, you pretty much end with the flipper. There's the Alex Stewart oh, one sure, to begin. Yeah. There's Martin McCaig. Yep. 
at the end, just before he gets Tufnell out, there's there's bowling Phil De Freitas around his legs. Like there's the whole bag of tricks. He's coming round the wicket, bowling into the rough at times and just shooting it across. But then even when he comes back over the wicket, and there's Richie Beno on the commentary saying he doesn't need to go around the wicket because he can bowl over the wicket, still hit the rough and still turn it back. It's like there's no need. Just do it do it this way, son. And that's pretty much what Warren did for yeah, most of his career. That was when, and this came back a little bit towards the end, but that was when it was like, wow, this guy turns it so far. Yes. No one could conceive it. No. Like, what, how the how? fuck does he do that? Yeah. And then he would change it up by and bowling blokes or getting blokes trapped on the pads with these, I don't know how quick they were, but these flippers that felt like they were medium paces. They were or coming the top up so quickly. That looks like a leg break because it looks like it's been tossed up and yeah, then it skips sure, on. The one that skids on. But, you know. but those flippers he would bowl yeah. when his shoulder was fully fit yeah, and his yeah. hands were, he was, he was, it, it was art. Yeah. And, I mentioned Cullen and before it wasn't just him but through that 93-94 series mm. with, with South Africa and the one day is the number of times he made people look absolutely ridiculous yeah. with that then he goes to the Caribbean uh, in early 95 that's the moment mm. and, that, and that's when they're meant to find him out you see so there's this thing called spin vision I think they called it which was going to show you a close up of Warney's hand uh-huh. and it was meant to unravel the mastery and Warnie would always say well actually I, don't, I didn't care how people saw me do it they still couldn't play it um, <laughs> and he had a great series in the Caribbean I don't know what his returns were but they were pretty impressive and he took a number of crucial wickets through mm-hmm. that series and Australia formally go to number one and once that, that box is checked and you mentioned the Ashes in 94-95 where England didn't stand a chance against Warn. you're into that period where it's just expected yeah. the benchmark for Warn is it's going to be yeah it's kind of like he's going to take Seven or eight test wickets yeah. each match he plays. Yeah. He's going to take two or three in every one day. He's going to do half the top order. He's going to do half the top order, and there's almost nothing you can do to stop him. Yeah. The only thing that could stop him at that point was injury. Yeah, or the quicks take wickets before he does. You know, and, or the quicks take you know, wickets before he does. That's about it. And then yeah. he can clean up the tail. I yeah, mean, and and you, and you know you can look at '97. Yeah. go to England there again. You know, doing what he always does. That's when things get a bit. Like his body becomes a topic. Yeah. Around that 96, 97, 98, it's like, why is this bloke carrying so many kilos? Yeah. Is this working against him? And yeah. he would always say, well, you know, take a look at the 96 World Cup semi final yeah. guys. Do you, yeah. do you think it's impeding me that I'm a little bit bigger? You know, yeah. Um, did I have a problem bowling in the last 10 overs after 100 overs in the heat? No. No, yeah, that's right. So there was this, this tension between mm. whether his body was going to let him down because he, yeah. he was a bit on, he was, you know, obviously a party boy and enjoyed what he did and put on weight as a lot of mm. us do, but when he was uh, on on the gas or the way eight or whatever, yeah. but it didn't have any effect on his career until it was actually a, a cricket injury, mm. the first of a series of them. Mm. That was the catalyst for the slump, not yeah. him being chubby. Well, weight doesn't make your shoulder fall apart after no. bowling about a million overs in, in the last seven years or, or, or whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, that peak point, he's on a hat-trick at one point in that Brisbane innings and doesn't get it when he's bowling to Tufnell and it's like, that's his best chance to ever get a hat-trick and then he goes Three to Melbourne later. and gets a hat-trick. Oh, I mean, that, I mean, we didn't even talk about the hat trick. What a moment in time that is. The David Boone catch, the yeah. Tony Gregg commentary, the fact that it's at the G on the final day, it's against England, it's the perfect storm. I remember like the current affair story after that. Yeah. I remember leading the TV news. The test was over by midday, mm. right? It was wall-to-wall worn everywhere you looked, mm-hmm. and he was a Victorian. Yeah. And again, like the Richardson flipper and yeah. the, the 7 for 52, this was another level. Mm. You know, it was like, what what can't this bloke do? Oh, it's a hat yeah, trick yeah, now, yeah. is it? And I, I and I felt um, aggrieved by the fact that that was the ninth wicket to fall, last ball okay. of the over. Craig McDermott bowls an over to Phil Tufnell, and I think it's with the penultimate delivery of that over 
Tufnell's caught behind for Nort. Uh-huh. If not, Warren would have been on a double hat trick. Some oh. people won't like that, but I'm going to say it. On a double, double hat trick to start his next over. Yeah. And he would have taken four in four, uh-huh. um, but he was denied by uh, a combination <laughs> of McDermott and Tufnell. And me as a 10-year-old, I was fucking uh, fuming. Craig McDermott, the Vaughan Brown of this scenario, <laughs> who took the wicket that Hadley didn't get. Yeah. And I remember going to games at that age and getting the, you know, it was the bang on the seats thing. Mm. Like, mm. Went, we love Warnie Courts, he's a Victorian. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't very original, but it felt good. And I remember just being, I mean, you know, I was a child and really understand complicated things, but I was so entranced by the physics of it. I was like, I don't know, like you watch that Defratus one that goes around the leg. He's over the wicket and it comes out of his hand and it hovers, it drifts so far across him. It's starting on about off stump, drifts across, pitches outside his leg stump and then turns back in and hits his stumps. And you're like, how do you do that? How do you possibly bend it from all the way over here all the way over there and back again. That's, it, that seems physically impossible. When everybody else who bowls a cricket ball bowls it relatively straight, maybe it swings a bit, maybe it turns a bit, but this just goes right angles. You know, this, this is some geometrical freak show that nobody else can do. And I just remember, being, you know, it, it was like, I don't know, it was like watching Beckham score that goal from the halfway line yep. or something. You're like, you shouldn't be able to do that. Like, a human should not be able to make that happen, and yet I am watching it happen. And even though he ripped it huge, and what you're mentioning there is absolutely right, the drift he would generate, there was another part to it. It was the profound control he had for a wrist spinner. There was a a bargain with wrist spinners before Mm. Warren, and kind of after Warren too, that they were just going to drag one down or Mm -hmm. bowl a fully once and over or two. It was just the way things were, which is why they weren't always trusted. It's why finger spinners had far more success at the selection table over many, many years. It's probably why Mitch Swepson, who we were watching bowl before, yeah. has been left out when there have been 50-50 calls around him playing or otherwise. It's, oh, it, if you're absolutely pressed, absolutely mm. pressed, the safer option is going with a finger spinner. Mm. Well, Warm bowled with the aggression of a fast bowler. Mm. That's a cliche, sure, but it's true. And the control of a finger spinner while spinning it like no other leg spinner ever. It was the combination of all three mm. components and the drift and all the bravado mm-hmm. and all the bullshit with the umpires that mm. he did so well, better than anybody, when in that, as you say, that, that freak worn bit yep. at the very start, you know, he was he was everything. Yeah. He, he was, I mean, yeah, often he was bowling with plenty of runs on the board, but it was like we knew then, well, it, it was intuitive. You knew that there was Bradman, who was the most important cricketer of all time, and mm-hmm. you sensed already that this is the next most important cricketer, and we're yeah. watching him, and yeah. we're living through it, and it's our yeah. childhood, and he's a Victorian. And then by that point, you know, that sort of, this, probably earlier, but, but certainly by the end of the 90s, he's the story. Not so much his bowling, not what he's doing on the field, but, you know, Shane Warne is just about the biggest celebrity in the country. Absolutely. Um, he's, the story's always about him. What's he doing? What's he up to? What's he done wrong? What's he eating? Uh, like you said, the weight the cigarettes, the, and then he, he runs into India in 99 and gets, well, 98, 98 gets, gets yeah. bruised up um, over there. They, that's like his first bad series since the beginning of his career. And then his shoulder goes, and those two things that may not be unrelated, but he misses almost a year. They are absolutely related. Yeah. Like, let's not, yeah. there's no equivocation there. Warney fucked his shoulder yeah. because of the workload in 98 in India. Right. A tour that, Benefit of hindsight, probably shouldn't have gone on. Mm. There were signs before that. He took his 300th wicket at Sydney uh, late in that test match and they jump on the plane, someone will correct me, I reckon about four weeks later and it wasn't mm. it, it, it wasn't firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And then, yeah, he, he, it was the build-up 
And Gilly did a great job of documenting this in the in the final Frontier season we made on the greatest season that was. The build-up to that series, the Warren versus Tendulkar mm. component to it, the mm-hmm. fact that Warren didn't play in the one-off test match in 96. Yep. It was the first time they were up against each other in test cricket with the exception of the first foray in 91-92. It was huge. And Warren won the first battle. Warren gets Tendulkar the first time around. And it's huge. But it wasn't a knockout blow. Mm. India do as they so often do to Australian touring teams and, and, and just score extraordinary bulk runs. And by yeah. the end of the series, we're talking about Warney and Baked Beans. Yeah. We're not yeah. talking about Warney the Freak. Yeah. The conversation just subtly moves on a bit to, oh, maybe, you know, people weren't saying it explicitly, but maybe they were drawing the conclusion that, you know, maybe this guy doesn't take care of himself too well mm. when they're forgetting that his shoulder was already by then hanging on by a thread. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hanging on by a bit of stringy pizza cheese, as it was described yeah. by, by somebody. I, I can't remember who. So, he misses out almost a year and I remember that being you know that was kind of, for me at that age it was like a a, a small national morning I was like yeah. oh he's gone where has he gone why won't he come back to us and bowl um, and will he come back and will he be okay and will his shoulder be alright and, and as you say he comes back and plays the fifth Ashes test and, and is very much sort of easing back into things and then ends up at that World Cup bowling pretty badly until the semi-final and then so you know just not himself and then suddenly it's like the way he became the story. Like the first game of the World Cup in 99, Warney gets fined for wearing a black T-shirt underneath his playing shirt. Like everything he really? did, all, <laughs> the, all the focus on him. Yeah. When he was dropped in the Caribbean in 98, yeah. you know... Uh, Which when, is massive. So, I mean... Well, it's on TV the, as well, right? The numbers on that, he takes two for 268 in the first three tests. Sure. And yeah. they're like, all right, he's got to go. No, that, and, that, and, 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 and again, he he's coming back from that shoulder injury. Yeah. It wasn't... You know, I think history's remembered this a little bit wrongly. Like... Now we're like, oh, well, he was punted from the team, mm-hmm. and I summarised it accordingly before, because there were two spinners bowling better than him. The other component was nobody quite knew how his shoulder was going to go yeah. long-term. He spoke himself around the 99 World Cup that he thought about pulling the pin before mm-hmm. the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of it now. He thought about retiring when he was 20... What's he, 99? Seven. No, no, I think he's, he's not even 30. He's nearing thirty. Yeah, he, he so thought he's, about. He's twenty-two when he when he debuts for Australia, isn't he? So. Yeah, so he's born in '69, nearing the '99 World Cup. So, so yeah, he, he's near enough to thirty yeah. as he's building to that time. He's born in September, I think. Sure, yeah. but the, I'm just making the point yeah. that you know you think of most cricketers at the halfway mark at sure. thirty, and spinners only getting their only getting their mojo at thirty, mm. and this guy had done so much that it wasn't completely wild that. This was it because yeah. he, he had, his his arm was going to fall off, He'd and they like, and they had to put it back together again. Like and who Muhammad knew what was going to happen? Who's twenty nine now and exactly. he's retired? Who knew what was going to happen? Yeah. And then that World Cup performance. I mean, remember they had to run the table with mm-hmm. seven games in a row, and a lot of it hinged on that on that recalibration of the team. Mm-hmm. But it still is no sure thing. I mean, you know, yeah. they got to win that Super Six game, which is influential in. Then they go down the highway or down the motorway from Manchester to Edgbaston, and there's the semi-final that we'll talk about forever. That spell, that first spell, his figures are even better than what it says. He takes four for 29, I think mm-hmm. I'm right in saying. Well, four for 33, I think four for 29 was the final. It's like three for 12 off eight mm-hmm. when his first spell ends. Gets a bit of tap in his ninth over. Jack Callis hits a catch from his final delivery, which turns the whole semi-final, and, we, and the rest is kind of history. But the ball to Gibbs... He hit six boundaries before then mm-hmm. inside what we would now call the power play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is flying. They are hunting down that target in like 40 overs. 
They're batting in a way which wouldn't be out of place in 2022, nearly a quarter of a century before. Mm. On comes Warren, punching his chest, firing up the, the teammates yeah. so when, he, when he takes that first wicket. He said before that that ball's nearly as good as the Gatting ball. Yeah, sure, Cronier was caught off the boot, but the Kirsten ball turns a mile, and they are just in shock that yeah, they're in traction they freeze. it's like we've gone back in time it's yeah. like we've gone back to 93 94 uh-huh. worn but for a moment became worn the freak again uh-huh. and he happened to nail his timing to be uh-huh. the, the, the semi-final of a world cup just as he had four years earlier or three and a half years earlier yeah. against the west indies when he bowled them out from nowhere it was happening again and it was and it was in a country where he mm. enjoyed that success in 93 and 97 and by the time they reached lords there was no way in the world Pakistan were going to win. Yeah. He had made it... I mean, there was no way they could win. Uh-huh. spoke to Shah Bakhtar about this before yeah. Warney passed away, and I asked him that question, and he pretty much agreed. He goes, yeah, by the time we arrived at Lords, we knew we were gone because of Warney. Yeah. So it goes. Like, the, the psychology of that was enough. It was too much. To make them think, we can't beat this guy. It was too much. He, 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 he made himself... He made... It, in yeah. the space of two matches, mm. he made himself warn of 93, 94 uh-huh. again. It's all it took. Yeah. And it was the competitive tension. Yeah. It was the, you know, the fact that they were up against it, they were written off, that he'd been dropped in the West Indies, mm-hmm. that he himself had been written off. It was the perfect storm, and yeah. thus it was the perfect moment. And maybe that point of, of white ball cricket that, you know, you have to attack a little more. Because it felt like after that World Cup, it took him, like over that next year or so, it took him a while to kind of build back into it. Like he had a, he struggled against India again. He had that. 2000, 2001 series, I think, against New Zealand, where they figured out a method. They were quite defensive against him, but oh, yeah, they just right, yeah. they just didn't get out to him. Yes, um, and they, they ended up with the nil all result touring Australia. And then it's 01 when he starts to kind of flourish. He goes back to England for the Ashes, starts taking bulk wickets there, has a good tour of Sri Lanka that was a bit earlier, but like and and has and plays well against South Africa. They have that kind of home and away thing against South Africa. You know we belong together, and he. He's back at that point. Like yeah. he's not. He's not. He's not got the same bag of tricks. And this is when the kind of worn mark two comes through. Yes. Where it's like I just bowl the leg break. I don't do anything else. I bowl the leg break. Some of them turn a lot. Most of them don't. Some of them turn a bit. Some of them go straight. This That's is when. It. This is when like worn the bullshit artist was at his best, yeah. right? So we saw worn the magician come back for like two weeks in England. That wasn't the experience in ninety nine two thousand. He did bowl well. They won six test matches that summer. Mm. They won all their test cricket that summer. Yeah, and but then he they personally, like India, handled him pretty well. They they didn't go well against the quicks. Sure, but the point is, is a winning team. Yeah. He was part of a. Do- that was when Australia became kind of invincible again. They, they, they started their sixteen in a row run, and you know, as you say, they they go to New Zealand in they they won they won in New Zealand in um you know two in two thousand two thousand and one yeah. on, on the way to uh, India, and then they play in India and. That series goes the other way, but I remember when Warren came out to bat in the first Test match there, he makes 40-odd. My dad said to me something like, this is when you know Warren is on. He makes runs with the bat in the first innings, and you just know he's going to... And there was something to that. You know, Warren the batsman isn't something we've discussed as yet, but there was something about the way Mm -hmm. he would just, like, out of nowhere play these cameos, and then he still managed to find time to record about 30 Test ducks. It's this divergence in his uh, batting graph but mm-hmm. yeah that, that era of warm that there's another injury in there too I mentioned before that um, he didn't play against the Windies in 2000-2001 so he gets back in time for India much as it was in 98 when he was on the way but in 98 he's on the way to an injury you know one is on the way back from another injury that mm-hmm. was the broken finger so yeah there's no there's nothing sure about him being able to do what he used to do and that's when as I say warm the, the, 
brilliant bullshit artist that he was. Before every series, he'd mm. say, "I've got a new mystery ball. Yeah. <laughs> I've got um, it straight. It's the Zuda. <laughs> it's the slider. It's the." And to which he later in life uh, explained that that was all just that was all just bravado. Yeah. But it worked, didn't it? Because mm. no one could convince a batsman down the other end. Mm-hmm. It's quite like Shane Warne that they were fucked because of him. Mm-hmm. And it was the it was the language he used in the lead up. And then yeah, by the time you get to a one Ashes again, you know with the bottle blonde hair that he sported in that series yeah. the dyed hair um, it, it was it was Warner McGrath Warner McGrath Warner McGrath I mean they just won test match after test match mm-hmm. in England were never even remotely in the hunt in 97 they were in a hunt a little bit mm-hmm. they didn't have a sniff in 2001 that was an extraordinary team no they got their um, their sort of routine consolation win in the fourth test you know at, at Headingley and, and, that that took, and that took a, a remarkable individual yeah. effort from Mark Butcher I mean that, yeah. that was just one of those things that happens but that was totally against the grain mm-hmm. you know that was with the one test match they didn't have their captain playing as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah Steve War on the coming back on the one leg for the oval um, and then he gets through that next Ashes in 02 03, influential again. I mean, that's another one where they don't have a sniff either. It's well, only half of it, right? I mean, he only, he only actually plays the first two tests of that mm. series. Make that first three. They win the Ashes in 10 days. Yeah. Warren's doing warm things. And there's the one day international at the MCG. Mm-hmm. I was there for it. I, 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 reckon I, I reckon it was the 9th of December. Don't have that in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was the 9th of December. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, he goes down in his follow-through, southern yep. stand end. I was in Bay 13 that night doing as people do when they're 18 years old in that part of the ground. Mm-hmm. And you can almost hear the MCG. As he's coming off the ground, you can almost hear the MCG as one Ooh. going, oh, no. Yeah, and he's on World the stretcher and he's holding that shoulder yeah. and he looks like he looks like a dejected poo bear when, when the honey pot's empty, you know, it's yes. slumped forward. I remember it. Mid, um, it's Mid Ashes series. It's Jimmy Anderson's debut actually yeah. one day debut in that game. Australia have made like three sixty in England the stuff, but Warren's gone. I remember getting the train back and just being desolate, thinking mm. Warren's, Warren's Warren could be finished here. Warren's out. Warren um, could be finished, and he's trying to get back for the O three World Cup. And he has the uh, the diuretic, and there's that kind of worn comical element to it. My mum gave me a diet pill because I didn't want to look fat for a sponsor's photo shoot, and you're like, I mean, if that's true. Jesus Christ. And also, if it's not, like, I mean, players trying to get back from injuries, there are all kinds of things, who knows, but... Well, the thing is, he did come back for that final series of the one day, so he missed the test matches, had the operation, and got back for the... It was a dislocation, that shoulder, so it wasn't wasn't the tendon damage that he'd had before, but, yeah, it was a different injury. The fact that it was his right shoulder, I'm sure everyone was petrified about it, and he came back and was bowling... Topless. In fact, one of the last photos he posted, it was about wanting to do this this shred to get yeah, super yeah. fit again. And I immediately recognised the photo. It was definitely from the 0203 comeback mm-hmm. in white ball cricket just before the World Cup. Of course, he dominated and did as he always did. But he was so fit. It was like he was a man on a mission yeah. to not only get back, but come back in peak condition, which did tally with the idea that there was something doing. Mm. And he until the day he died, said nothing doing, and that's dealt with, and that's fine. But that fueled the speculation at the time that it was something not quite right, because how come this podgy guy, who was always super huge, strong, big and strong, but yeah. never a ripped sort of, no. you know, maybe there were a couple of moments he was quite... But he, he, for years he hadn't looked like that. Yeah. And now he looked like that. Yeah. I mean, you go back to 2001 in India and you compare it to 2003 when he played England in those one days, this was a different human being mm-hmm. in terms of his body shape. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and that was the, that was the prompt, mm-hmm. inevitably... To a lot of people saying there's something there's something not quite right. Yeah, not not unreasonably so. Uh, either way, he missed the tournament. Andrew Simons gets put in the squad. Uh, what a story! I mean, up. what what a night! What a night when that broke. Hmm. I mean, of course we weren't covering cricket then, but no. I mean, to to think that I mean 
like, but I'm thinking about it from a news perspective. Yeah. The news breaks that Shane Warne has been banned from the World Cup and flying home in disgrace for taking a tablet which has masked the steroid. I mean, it was just yeah. jaw-dropping stuff. That's before we knew about the weight loss stuff and whatever else. It was just like, what? what is this? Yeah. How? Why? Yeah. Why? 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 Yeah. Also, why? You're like, well, if you, yeah, you probably didn't need it in 1994. Why does he need it yeah, now? But, it's just but a that injury, story. injury recovery is a big thing. If, if, if people are getting into that, that's often what they use it for is to try to speed up the timeline to come back from injury. And then he's out for a year. And I know you, you said he was lucky to get away with it, but it's still a year for, you know, a full year's ban, as we saw with Smith and Warner. It, it's, it feels like a lot, especially at the start, it feels like a lot. Um, and, and, and it also sort of reaches a point where, like that is the point when he could have become test captain. Yeah. Like people often say, well, yes, he had that well-documented issue with Steve Waugh, but it wasn't. No one was saying in 1998, 99, sorry, when when Taylor retired. Oh well, Warney should could be, be test captain. Yeah. Like, he, he just lost the vice captaincy like five minutes before. You know, yeah. I think that's the right sequence. It was yeah, always going to be thousand when they when they basically. Blacklisted him from right. Know, it was like the, te- the text messages text message in, in England with the yeah. nurse and whatever. But the point is, is that he'd he'd been the white ball captain when War was injured in eight, 98, 99. Mm. There's the night at the G again. I'm down there, of course. I'm down there with the helmet running down, um, and I, I saw the vision in full. I think Robert Linda posted it the other day. It, you know, striking memories of all being, and everyone just yeah. There were people throwing shit around, but the way he came down, put the helmet on, the way that Alex Stewart gestured for wanting to come by warming up. And, pretending to bow a few leggies, get Warney out here. And Warney running in in the thongs, gets the helmet, such a showman. And, you, you know, you don't forget that. It's one of the most iconic MCG moments ever. And it had nothing to do with him bowling. It's because he was captain. But there's yeah. this momentum then, like, Warney's yeah. a brilliant leader. That was an excellent series. Uh-huh. It was a, it was, it was, And he did a fabulous job as captain. And, you know, if he were ever going to take over as captain, it probably would have been, notwithstanding what you say mm. about maybe he was blacklisted, it would have been after Steve Waugh retired. That yeah. would have been the moment. But because... The, and Ricky Ponting was leading the one-day team, but mm. if they were thinking about giving him an opportunity to be the national captain, that would have been the natural point. But then yeah. the drugs ban, it's just, you know, that that, that makes it yeah. impossible. And from then, it's like you're lucky to come back as a player, you know, let yeah. alone come back as a captain. And there's that same worry that when he does come back, will he be the same? Will he be able to get it back? And yes, yes, he will. Yes, he can. Goes to Sri Lanka, has the head-to-head with Murali. I mean, that's got to be one of the great underrated cricket series ever, sure. I reckon, that, you know, the two of them just going toe-to-toe. Australia working out how to bat against Murali, Damien Martin and co. Warren bowling really well over there and then going to India, like you mentioned right at the start, that final frontier. And, you know, he doesn't have a huge series, 14 wickets at 30, but he gets Laxman out three times in that series. I reckon that's as important as anything else across the course of that series. Uh, He takes big top-order wickets. And considering his other visits, he's been averaging 50s. He gets through India enough, like considering that there are often bigger runs. Um, it's a, it matters and the contribution's important. And he goes on from there into 2005, has a bigger series of his life with yeah. 40 wickets and nearly 300 runs and away he goes. Yeah, it, it, there is definitely a similarity between what Warren achieved in Sri Lanka and India in 04 and what, what he did in the World Cup of 99 in that it's not injury this time, it's, it's, it's the returning from being away for such a long stretch. But yeah... I can't stress this point enough. There was, it was a, can Shane Warne still bowl again? Mm. Can he still do it? 
I wonder whether we think that way these days with a player being out for a year. It feels like that would be less of a big deal. For some reason yeah. then, there were the big question marks over whether he could do it. Because not I long guess before... because it was magic. Like when you, when you see someone do something that looks like actual genuine magic, and there's that, there's that line about um, any... Any, any scientific discovery, if sufficiently advanced, is indistinguishable from magic. You know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of Shane. Because what he did was so uncanny, so unlike anything that anyone else did, it's easy to imagine it could just vanish. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And, I mean, it's not as though he was going to a place where he hadn't been successful at all. I think of the, the 0203 uh, series in, in Sri Lanka and Dubai when they played Pakistan in a neutral venue for the first time. And Warren took, I think, 27 wickets in three test matches. Yeah, sounds right. Freakish. Yeah. I mean, in the... Bowled them out for 50 and two innings of a test match. It was match. so hot and he was so good. That was yeah. late 2002, just before yeah. he did the shoulder injury. So him going to Sri Lanka, in theory, it should work for him. But in theory, it should have worked for him in India in 98 yeah. as well. Yeah. Like, and then to, to turn it on the way that he did. And in 2001. And indeed in Sri Lanka in 99 when they didn't win either. Mm. Um, to turn it on the way that he did there and to take that form to India and to break record after record, I think he was stuck on about... He was stuck on about 400 or just before 400 test wickets before mm-hmm. that. Maybe a bit more. I can't remember exactly. But yeah. he, he was powering through the records by that point um, and racing through. I think he took 95 wickets in a calendar year in 2005. Right. And the build-up to that 2005 um, summer, you know, the home series against Pakistan in 2004, 2005. Again, bowling the house down throughout the course of the summer. Mm-hmm. They go back to New Zealand in early 05 and, you know, you get the sense that Warren's just going to be a complete handful throughout that year like he's got a he's making up for lost time mm. like that that stretch felt yeah. like I've missed a year I've got to make every post yeah. a winner uh, Do- and then dominates the uh, the super tests as well against the ICC world yeah, team the, and that comes that. after the 05 Ashes yeah. but like every time you see him with a ball in his hand he retired from one day cricket yeah. after that World Cup that wasn't in fact he, he signalled he was going to retire at the end of the World Cup and he brought that forward and said that's it so he didn't come back to be mm-hmm. a, a multi-format player it was just about playing test cricket and so he wasn't part of the 2005 mm. build-up. The phony war through that T20 at yeah, Rose yeah. Bowl, through those one-dayers, all of that cricket that was being played, Warney was captaining Hampshire, uh-huh. running a mark, yeah. made a first-class 100. They were well on their way to winning the title. They missed mm. out by that much that year. Um, I think they missed out by two points or something like that. So everyone's just watching Warn play county cricket. They've yeah. got one eye on Warney and one eye on the one-day team. And you forget how much first-class cricket he played because at 145 tests, most players who play that much don't play a lot of first-class he played over 300 first-class matches. So he played more first-class games than he did test matches, yeah. which is unusual for someone who's in the test team for so long. And not many of them for Victoria either. Um, 60-odd, I think. Yeah, so and about most another of them, 60-odd for Hampshire. Right, I would have said he played even more again for Hampshire. But, yeah, that, that feels about right. He was club captain there for a long time. And they named the stand after him when they built that ground, you know, 10 miles away from, from Southampton. So, yeah, he, he, was, he was just in the shadows mm. before 05. And I was over yeah. there for that, for that summer and... No one could wait to watch Warm Bowl against uh-huh. England one last time. There must have been, I don't know, like a dozen newspaper features about yeah. what that would mean with him almost certainly playing his last Ashes in England, all the reflections to 12 years earlier, to doing it again in 97, 2001. Could he do it a fourth time? And, As then, it turned and then the out, full Warnie style, his, his marriage breaks up just before the series. Yep. They're all on his back. The tabloids are on him. The fans are on him. Like that thing you talked about, about being able to cope with embarrassment and... and and yeah, he was he was someone who really wanted people to like him. He definitely wasn't someone who didn't care what people thought. But this amazing ability just to 
kind of push through it when he was embarrassed. And yeah. and in that series, it was like, look, I don't I don't care how bad my life is or how much everyone's getting stuck into me. I'm going to come out here and dominate. Yeah, the Playboy jocks and all the rest of it with the two women in the and the sting from the newspaper. I mean, I don't remember the exact sequence now whether that was before the test matches or not. That probably was. He was certainly in England at the time. You know, and then bowls out England, you know, Lords as he's done before. Didn't take five, but I think he took four in the second innings and guess what? Warner McGrath bowl out England again, just mm-hmm. like four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, as it was in 2001 when they did it time and time again. And he's in the series and Edgbaston, brilliant solo effort with the bat, with the ball, mm-hmm. keeping them in it, dragging them as close as he could to the finish line before standing on his stumps oh, on that final no. morning. I standing still, on his stumps. I still see that. The number, you talked about his batting and how we hadn't talked about it. Every test that Shane Warren played, I rode his batting like... yeah. Almost more than I liked watching his bowling because it was because his bowling you knew that he could dominate. His batting it was like can he, can he like what's he going to do? Is it today? Because he, he he might slice three boundaries over backward point and then he'd be out for fourteen. That was kind of the archetypal Shane Warne innings. You know he looked so jumpy against fast bowling. He'd so his feet would be all over the place. But he had this really good eye and he'd somehow suddenly start like cue ending them over cover and all the rest of it. And then you know sometimes he'd make a fifty and then. Every time, you know, I remember the 86 against Pakistan, the 99 against New Zealand was a heartbreaker. But that 90 in, in 05, I think that was the worst of the lot because I was like, he's done the 99. He's had to get out caught to the shit shot on 99 off a no ball, although we didn't know at the time it was a no ball. Surely this is the day. Surely it's going to happen. And then, as you say, back heel, clunk. It's like, oh no. How? Yeah. How? Yeah. And he, he had the, yeah, that's right. So there was the 99. And it was the innings at Lords too, batting with Cat yeah. um, to start that. You know, Australia were probably, I don't know, when he walks in, might have been 100 for seven or something like that. And he gets him to a vaguely credible score. We all know what happens with McGrath after that. But, you know, he's so in the series. By mm. the end of Edgbaston, it's all about Warren. Someone made this point on Twitter and they're right. Remember the flared trousers he was mm-hmm. wearing in that series? Yep. The slightly longer blonde hair, yep. slightly chubbier than he had been yep. for a couple of years yep. at least since the comeback. Mm-hmm. And everything he touched turned to gold. The way he kept teams in series the way that he bowled at Manchester to keep England just at arm's length. The Trent Bridge, more noticeably, was Trent Bridge. When he took the first five wickets at the Oval to start that Test match, Uh I was with my parents that night in in Sydney where they were at the time and watching Warney take the first five and you're thinking, he's going to take ten here. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't wild to say that. It's just the way things were at that point. It was just one of the few things he hadn't done. You're like, well, he hasn't made a Test 100, so he will. And he hasn't taken 10 in innings, so he'll have to do that at some point. Finishes with 300-odd runs and 42 wickets, was it? Yeah, yeah, 40 40 wickets wickets and and maybe 280 runs. Crazy, crazy series. And I remember the... What I remember most from that series is his his run-up. I say, use inverted commas, his approach to the crease. Like... How's the serenity? It was so calm. I sort of got this feeling that when everything was going to shit in his life, like that was the moment of calm when he's just standing there. It just makes you wait for a bit longer. Just just stands there and surveys the scene, just watches the batter, just goes, hmm, hmm, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and then walks in. And it's like, how do you generate that much power when you just walk in? But He, he might have ruined the generation of Leakies too because they all thought they could walk in like yeah. him. As a bowling coach once said to me, who'd worked in state cricket, Warren had this extraordinary power through his fingers and shoulder yeah. that most normal human beings don't have. They need to run up to generate yeah. momentum to the and crease. And you watched Stuart McGill's run up and it was about 15 paces and he, and he came in like Yana Pittman, you know. Like yes. Sort of stepping over the box and all that. that yeah, that well, they needed to, up. didn't they? But yeah, like the, the, the 2005 Ashes was when he started bowling some of these deliveries again that we referred to earlier. You know, you go back to the 99 World Cup semi-final, the Gibbs ball, 
or, or the Gadding ball or, or the Richardson ball or the Stuart flipper, the Bassett Alley ran the legs last ball of the day. There, there are so many of them, but those two to Strauss at Edgbaston in yeah. 2005, both innings. The second one, which is just one of the most remarkable things you could ever see, freak show stuff, round the wicket, turns more than any ball he's ever done. Uh, yeah, yeah, bowls him again in Melbourne to get wicket 700. He took his 600th wicket uh, in that test match as well. You know, when you get to the Oval, it seems cruel that he puts down the catch off Peterson, mm. which ends up being decisive yep. in the series because he was every bit the player of the series. Yes. They deserve to win... Well, maybe they didn't deserve to win the series. That might be a stretch because he didn't have as many people going with him as he had in, in previous summers in England. But it felt wrong that he'd be on the losing it team. It felt like they deserved to win more than one test match out of five. Well, yeah, that, that that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like two all would have been a reasonable result. It wouldn't have been. Um, it wouldn't have been England's jubilant result, but it would have been a fair reflection of the work done. And it would have been a fair time for him to have put the cue in the rack as well. This is sometimes, again, one of these things that we don't remember quite mm. as clearly now. He's 36 at that juncture, you know, and he's got a lot of miles on the clock and a lot's happened through his career. We've yeah. we, we touched on many of them. He doesn't really need to go again. He does against South Africa, you know, 506 and the Windies as well. By that point, Stuart McGill's playing with him a little bit more, probably should have played with him mm. in the 05 Ashes, but they played two spinners a few times in that summer. Uh, and then we get to 2005-06 when they go to South Africa and win over there, which is a big deal winning over there, you know, given they, they looked to be under strength. But this is this relentless competitiveness of Warren. It's like, well, hang on, we've lost the number one spot in the world to England. We've lost the Ashes. I have to play. I'm duty-bound to take us back to number one mm-hmm. and to win the Ashes back in Australia. So yeah. it might have extended his career, the totally. fact that they lost. It would have been a spur because I remember feeling just puzzled by it. I was like, what do you mean Australia lost the Ashes? And he probably would have felt the same, kind of needled by it and outraged by it. And so he does push on. And he has that last hurrah in Adelaide, of course, the test match that, according to half of our audience, never happened uh, and, and has the sort of the worn moment going out in Sydney, you know, the Langham, McGrath, worn triumvirate on, on the way out, victorious, whitewash, you know, that, that kind of perfect finale. So good that for, I reckon, at least the next five years, there was always a Shane Warne's making a comeback rumour. As, oh, as Australia gosh. tried dud spinner after dud spinner, it was always like, well, maybe Warney will come. He's only 42. Maybe he'll come back if we ask him nicely oh, enough. Oh, gosh. I mean, the number of times I talked that up. Uh, but just, just to get to that, though, on, on route to that, about 06, 07, I loved hearing the Adam Gilchrist anecdote on SEN. And mm. we've heard it before, but hearing other people say it, especially in the backdrop of his passing, about him walking around and reminding everybody of the boot camp they've been on, which yeah. he hated all that bullshit. I say bullshit, what he would have called bullshit. Mm. He hated all of that. He hated the way John Buchanan made them do these types of things. But Warren was the one who was going around reminding them of that yeah. in an exercise of making them believe that the impossible was possible. Yeah. And he led from the front, bowled literally all day, takes that bag of wickets, the Peterson moment, knocks over England inside a session and a half, nearly two sessions, and on a... You know, you know it, it is one of the most extraordinary finishes to a test match ever. From that point forward, they were always going to win 5-0. Announcing his retirement after the, you know, the Perth test, as he did, everyone was gutted, but it was like, you are entitled to retire. Yeah. That's how I felt. Fair it was like, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. You, absolutely no dramas with you saying, having one, completed the job, 3-0 up in the series, well on the way to a whitewash, and the aura around that Boxing Day test, remembering that the first two days of that test, 
95,000 capacity at the mm. G were sold out mm. almost instantaneously mm-hmm. in sort of ticketing terms, like within a couple of hours. Yeah when they came on sale back in June. When Warren announced that he was going to retire, you could add a third day to that. And even even had they played into a fourth day and they mm. didn't, it was over in three, they probably would have sold it out for the fourth as well. The yep. atmosphere was unreal. I mean, there have been more people at the G for Test Cricket since, uh, I think yep. it was the 17... 17- 18 or was it 13, yeah. 14? There's been another day where more people have been. 13, 14, there were 91 and a half thousand. Right, that might have been more, but it was a chilly day. You know, I was, of course, there appropriately with my dad and my brother, yep. who had, we'd watched Warren bowl together. It's a defining part of the relationship with my dad and my brother, you know, mm. um, Shane. We haven't really talked about that side of things, but it's true. I mean, you yeah. watch someone do that for long enough, it, it bonds you as a, as, as a family. And, and it was ballsy as well to go, I'm going to announce retirement before I've got to 700. You know, yeah, that was ball- on 699. Not quite as ballsy as Morelli saying this is my last test when he had 792 test wickets True. and he took eight for. No, that, but still. But it's up there. And then watching that spell, I was standing in, um, in M10 where I watched Hawthorne play for that first spell with a few friends, a couple who are out from England, uh, the Hudson brothers we, we've talked about before on the show, my mates from the Victor Trumpet Cricket Board days, and we'd spent so much time, you know, thinking and talking and writing about Warren and then we were all together we were wearing the Shane Warren masks they gave out when you're walking into the G that day we all had them on and you know I think it was about his fifth or sixth over or, or something like that mm. he, he, um, it's not a particularly special delivery in the in the Warren body of work it wouldn't necessarily be on the highlights really if it wasn't wicket 700 but a, a false straight from Strauss and he goes on that lap and the bit of Mark Taylor commentary they're not going to catch him and that round of applause which lasted seemingly for 10 minutes I'm not mm. sure how long it lasted for in reality but it was just this last moment on that stage for Melburnians to just chant his name and yep. I, I think sob like in a way I think you know there was genuine like tears of joy certainly for me yeah. that I can't believe I'm so lucky to be here <laughs> for this I can't believe we all get to share this together at this ground with our family yeah. and that extends to our friends as well our MCG family which he has been front and centre of for 15 years and will be forever with the name on the stand now isn't that perfect by yeah. the way yeah isn't that perfect that stand went up the year his international career began yep that stand you know I've seen you and I have both seen we, you know that, that, that stand is such a big part of our childhoods as well and that- there was this talk about it only a few weeks ago when they were talking about maybe remodelling it or renoing it or whatever and there was conversation about, shouldn't we give it a name? Like, it doesn't have a name. Can it just be the Great Southern Stand forever? Shouldn't it have a name? And nothing seemed... It was like, because it's so big, like, it doesn't quite belong... Like, no one's got that billing, really. People stand. You know? That's how it's always felt like the people's part yeah. of the ground. But and the, only, the only name that is big enough to go on it, to go on that stand, is Warren. It's perfect. I mean, I can't believe we didn't do it 10 years ago. Hmm. I can't believe that has not had... The shame one stand written on it from the day. Yeah. I mean, it, to now, to, to my way of thinking. But we needed. Now, we probably needed the things that gave us the shits to stop before being able to, like, I talked about that at the start. But it, it, as soon as the news of his death came through, I was like, I don't care about the things I was annoyed about with Shane Warne anymore. I'm just thinking about the things that I loved. Oh no, no, a- and absolutely, absolutely, and, and it goes all the way to the end too, doesn't it? I mean, as far as the the, the saying goodbye to Australian cricket's concerned. The Sydney goodbye, I was there too. I remember he was batting and I was shopping. I didn't have a ticket to the fourth day and he was on about 50-odd. And I said to a mate who I was there with a go, I've just got to go. I've just got to go to to the SCG. Jumped in a taxi, got to the front gate, the old public entrance where you'd go to get into the the Brewongle stand and the the hill. And 
my plan was to pay. I took out like $200 from the ATM. My plan was to pay someone at the gate to let me walk through <laughs> despite being capacity. And he got out just as I was pulling up. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. No dramas. Was there the following day for the, the final wickets. But but yeah, that, that, that sort of gives you a sense of how I needed to be yeah, there. And yeah. Australians felt that way throughout that last couple of weeks of his test career. They needed to see and eke out every last little mm. moment, every mm-hmm. last second. We needed to, to experience it together. Yeah. And then he goes and gives himself in a way to other countries like the way he gave himself to the Indian Premier League and, uh, and the fact that okay now this is his team to run he gets to captain it he gets to coach it he wins the title of course he does of course he does of course he does then he signs up for the big bash and goes yeah I'll do that um, why and, not And because they want a big star to help launch it and he's still the biggest star in Australian cricket and then he puts his fucking whole hand in a, pa- a pan of boiling bacon fat about two days before the first match. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, He's course. trying to make bacon sandwiches and he somehow puts his, the palm of his hand in the pan and burns his hand severely, like his spinning hand. And then there's this like race against time. It's like the, the World Cup again. Will Warney be fit to bowl? And of course he is somehow and he bowls with blisters on his hands and bowls his four overs in the first game and, you know, takes his wickets. And then, of course, he's in the first edition of the 100 being a coach there. Like, of course, he's involved. He's in the All-Stars game with Tendulkar in that series they play in the USA in baseball stadiums. Of course he is, because he's like, why wouldn't I be? He was just always, I will do whatever is on, I'm in it. Whatever's on, I I need to be part of it. I need to be in the middle of it. I need to enjoy it to its fullest, I suppose. The culture of the IPL being such a a party was was shaped by Warren at the start. The way he made these young players superstars. I mean, but uh, Sandarace and our our colleagues written about this, that he would drag in these kids and go... Mm. This kid's going to be, you know, you give them nicknames. This yeah. kid's going to be this or the other or whatever. Yeah. Jadeja. Um, he, he grabbed Jadeja and Jadeja's said, you're the rock star. You're the rock star, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there are others too in that in that era. Was it Yusuf Patan, I think? Anyway, yeah. there, 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 there are these leagues, as you say, that, he, that he's involved in. The Big Bash, the fact that he was still playing professional cricket in like 2013, that's five years after he's finished playing international mm. cricket. That is quite unusual mm-hmm. for someone to still be able to do it. As recently as 2012, there were the calls for bring back Warney to the test team, which mm. Michael Clark entertained, which was the catalyst for Mitchell Stark saying, actually, we're quite happy with the bloke we've got, Nathan Lyon, which prompted the unfortunate years and years of commentary around um, Stark that, with Warne. I mean, that, that's really sad that one of our mm. last memories of Warne being a big presence in the public domain was the Stark stuff. Mm-hmm. I read some commentary yeah. on that a couple of days ago in the aftermath, and, and Warne... In the more, in the last few weeks, apparently it was like, well, well, it worked, didn't it? He had a great Ashes series and good on him. I mean, you know, you can rewrite. Say that you can you can rewrite history. From, oh yeah. no, I meant that. Yeah, 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 you can rewrite you can rewrite history if he, if he wants to, and that, that is again, it's his, yeah. his, his right to do so. But well, you, you say the, yeah, if you say that someone's shit and they end up being shit, you were right, and if they end up being good, you say you spurred them on. Yeah, but again, it, it's the point I was really making there though is that even as a forty-three-year-old, yeah. I think I'm right in saying, yeah. There were not just there were loud calls. Yeah. This guy is the answer. Mm. Bring him back. We need him now. Mm-hmm. We need him now. Mm-hmm. In 2012, he finished up five years earlier. I mean, it seems wild now, yeah. but you know you can get away with that when you're Imran Khan before the 1992 World Cup to kind of be the just to be the captain and let yeah. and steer the ship. But you know, with the with the the tactile nature, the deft nature of yeah. leg spin bowling, that he was still able to do it. And you'd see him at charity games or or doing master classes on on Sky Cricket. He looked just as potent yeah. in his fifth decade as he did in his third. Mm. There was something that was always there, and, and I guess even though he was always a move-the-game-on merchant, you know, he still went to a lot of test cricket. He still obviously oh, yeah. loved it. I kind of 
I love that fact that someone who you you know because he he was kind of dismissively seen as you know you're an outer suburbs Melbourne bogan or whatever but you know like not a great intellect all this stuff but that didn't none of that meant that he didn't love test cricket like he's still yeah a, a, a demanding absorbing game that requires days and concentration that's not something that stupid people love because know. first and foremost he just loved cricket yeah. and loved this form of the game and loved all all cricket in all its forms the fact that he was involved in the hundred last year straight away signed up immediately to be a, a coach in that tournament he didn't have that cynicism towards the game becoming different he just wanted to ride the wave as it mm. changed and make the he, stumps bigger make the stumps bigger whatever it takes he was always there with something else that was left of center you could rattle off half a dozen of these ideas to yeah. thought bubbles or whatever oh, and they, social they, media get, remember the warner festos the warner festo he put one out every year or I mean, so i'll tell you what the warner festo probably ended up the reason why darren lehman became coach of the australian cricket team probably, probably why mark war ended up selected i mean you know he had enormous pull mm. enormous clout when he spoke, Michael Beer mm. can thank Shane Warne for his test cap. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't deserve it, by the way, but he put him front and centre yeah. after a couple of test matches of the 10-11, 10-11 series to say, there's this guy, he's playing over in WA, he used to be mm. Victorian, you should pick him. And what do you know, he got picked for the next test match, or for the for the final test match or, mm. or whatever it was. The way he would work with Steve Smith, the way he was working with Marnus Labuschagne when we were watching them at Old Trafford in 2019. And guess what? It was leg spin through Labuschagne who breaks open that final set to ensure that Australia retained the series. I mean, yeah. he just loved it. The, um, the you know, and he acknowledges this in the documentary that there's only so much of himself that he could give, mm. and his family then got less of it in relation to cricket because he was so bloody-minded and determined to be a yeah. success at every step of the way. And that's a sad mm. like thing for him to have to acknowledge. But I suppose that's the nature of the beast and the nature of the addiction to the game that he had and the, how compelled he was to to keep contributing to it in any which way he could yeah I think there aren't like there are hundreds of cricketers who we can get joy out of watching and there are very few who who generate that complete fizz that buzz that excitement that anytime they're coming out to do something you want to be involved and there's you know there's maybe Brian Lara and maybe it's Tendulkar and it was definitely Shane Warne and I have um I have enjoyed that thought of like the amount of stuff he did in his life, the number of crazy moments, even just the ones we saw, let alone the thousands I'm sure that we didn't and we'll, yes. ne- we'll thankfully never know about. 52 Shane Warne years, I calculated as probably about 4,000 regular person years in yes. terms of just amazing experiences. So there's something quite pleasing about that, kind of yeah. comforting in that. Um, and I, I think that he's, he's somebody who brought a lot of magic to our lives and, uh, you know... I'm grateful for it. Yeah, me too. I'm 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 comforted by that too. Like he a got number his of people, worth. a number of people made this observation that Warney is an old man. In hindsight, I wish yes, but mm. in the circumstances upon which we are now talking, him having passed away at 52, Warney is an old man. Yeah, you know, can you see it? I don't know. Can you see Shane Warne being forever young? Can you see Shane Warne living through those wonderful clips of him bowling of the joy he had talking about? a cheese sandwich or a lasagna sandwich or whatever inanity that came through on commentary but always said with these with a huge smile and not that I knew the guy particularly well but little kind of small times when I did have any interactions with him one stands out in 2008 when I was 
taking Rudd around the, the commentary boxes on uh, during the Boxing Day Test match and, you know, watching those two strike up this immediate rapport. I think it might have been, uh, might have been 09. E- either way, it was this, you know, and him going, oh, let's, let's put up a poll on Channel 9. Who's the best PM? Is it Bobby Hawke? I love Bobby Hawke. Because, of course, he learnt, he, um, he, he learnt a lot um, when his mum was cleaning Bob Hawke's Melbourne house when he was a kid. He learnt tennis there. Loved his tennis. Is it Bobby Hawke? Is it John Out? Or is it this guy, Kevin Rudd? I don't know. Let's have a poll. Let's put it on the screen. That just like childlike enthusiasm for everything. They exchange numbers. I don't think anyone will mind me telling this story. They exchange numbers. <laughs> and I thought this was the funniest thing ever, that the PM was texting Warney. And I don't think that Rudd necessarily knew Warney's history with the short message service. Uh-huh. You know, I don't think he necessarily <laughs> was across, <laughs> was across the, the form. He wasn't a particularly big cricket guy. He knew a little bit, but he didn't know it. Yeah, he wasn't... Yeah. He, wasn't um, he, he was a down ball guy. He wasn't rinsed in the way that we are in the game, um, minute to minute, hour to hour. So whether he knew or not about Warney's sexcapades, uh, sexcapades, I suppose, uh, I, I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Anyway, so I was getting updates from, from Rudd at the time. Okay during the summer break. You had to let him know that if you receive something steamy, it's probably a mistake. Yeah, it could be going somewhere else. (laughs) And he goes, yeah, we've been texting. I thought this was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. And I've decided I want to make him captain of the Prime Minister's Eleven this year. And they just agreed. And he's like, of course I'll do it. Yeah, no worries. And I had to kind of quickly, politely delicately explained that we'd announced that Matthew Hayden was going to be captain of that team. Uh-huh. He'd been announced just before Christmas. This wasn't possible. Uh-huh. And he got back on the text to Warney and said, um, oh, that's no, all good. He'll do it next year for me. Now, of course, Rub wasn't Prime Minister for the following PM's 11, but it just spoke <laughs> to me about this kind of like, yeah, no, 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 no worries. I'll do it next year instead. <laughs> just, you know, just a small but yeah. uh, memorable moment where it gave a bit of an insight to just how enthusiastic he was about any sort of cricket and that enthusiasm coupled with freakish skill coupled with storylines that you couldn't script in your wildest dreams coupled with scandal coupled with celebrity i mean all of these things washing through this remarkable life uh, and, 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 and at the middle of it is that it was funny like it was brilliant and it was wonderful brilliant, brilliant was and funny, funny. brilliant and entertaining yeah, and i would say more it was entertaining yeah you know, if cricket's nothing, if, if cricket is nothing else but entertainment, what is it? You know, it, it's something that we do to be entertained. And he was the greatest entertainer the sport's ever seen. Uh, and, you know, you can debate whether he's the greatest bowler of all time. I can't fathom how you could say anyone has been a better... Has, I, I just can't conceive of it. He's the best bowler of all time. And I, I, I won't hear anything to the contrary. Others have claims for different statistical reasons, but what he did the way he revived that lost art of leg spin, the control he showed, the freakish way he executed it, the way he had to reinvent himself time and time again due to injury and come back in different forms and different ways. Uh, he is the greatest bowler, certainly in my view, uh, which, which wasn't everything about him, but when we're reducing it back to how we'll remember him, that's how I'll remember him as, as the greatest ever who in turn brought me extraordinary joy and why I'm so blessed to have grown up in Melbourne and why... I'm so pleased that I was seven years old when he made his test taboo. See, that is when you start making long-term memories. Yeah. For me personally, they are memories that are going to live with me until the day I die. It's a good time to be seven years old. Uh, that is the end of the magic in a way, but, uh, but the magic will live on. So this has been The Final Word. We could talk for another couple of hours, but let's call it here. Uh, the Final Word on Shane Warne. Hi, I'm Natalie Jimonis, and you listen to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. 
It's the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This would normally be the time in the show we would do a bit of nerd pledge and talk about Woodstock cricket or, or something like that, Jeff. But um, yeah, after that long conversation with Shane Warne, we, we thought it would just be appropriate to wrap up the show fairly quickly. Uh, we're going to discuss the Women's World Cup and where it's been so far. But yeah, an unusual week in cricket, unusual time for all of us, really, uh, as a consequence of the Shane Warne passing. And yeah, just wanted to acknowledge that we're, we're not going to spend as much time talking about the rest of world cricket as we are otherwise might it just feels like not the thing to do but it is also this this strange time where something that is the thing that we would ordinarily be most excited about which is yeah. the women's 50 over world cup is happening like we're sitting in karachi and delighted to be here but also deeply frustrated that these two things have happened at the same time i, I think i could safely say that if australia were playing any other country in a test series we would have skipped that in order to go to the Women's World Cup. This plus New Zealand's quarantine were the the things that made it impossible. Yeah, no question. I would definitely be at this World Cup if not for the fact that this is this series mm. and we just had to be here. And yeah, in the moment we had to make the decision and it wasn't a decision because of the Pakistan element. Um, there were there was a was it a two week quarantine in New Zealand which yeah, became ten, 10 days, days, which became seven days, which became no quarantine now. So in theory, Jeff, on the yeah. way home you could drop into New Zealand. I, I, I was actually looking at ways to like whether I could somehow shuttle back and forth like yeah. when this series was first coming out and the quarantine's made that impossible, I suppose. Yeah, I think there is quarantine gone now, though, so yeah. you, could, Maybe I you, could make the you could slip in the back door for the last couple of games. I wish mm. you well on mm. on that pursuit. won't be so easy with me going the other way, it must be said. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, yeah that, that frustration, I that, that's the overarching feeling I've mm. got as well. We've covered women's cricket so in, in such an in-depth way, not least the travails of, of the teams who are likely to win this tournament. We talk about them every single week on the show and it doesn't feel right that we aren't able to engage to the extent that we otherwise would be. I mean, it also looks great because there are six teams genuinely mm-hmm. vying for four spots. That wasn't really what was going on five years ago. It wasn't quite as log-jammed. And the way these games have played out, uh, it only added to that. So Australia are out of the blocks with two wins, one mm-hmm. of those over England, the defending champs. England yep. have lost both games, so they're sitting in sixth spot. Let's call it the death spot right now. But if they ran the table from here... The drop zone. The drop zone. If they ran the table from here and went five and two, they'd probably go through. And then you've got New I, Zealand... I they almost certainly would go through. And I yeah. think they could even squeak through if they lost three, if things went their way. Like, you're not you're not absolutely out of it, but it's very hard. But yeah, they've got to, they've got to win a bunch from here. And New Zealand have, have helped in, in terms of their defeat of India... Now, you know, I I was deeply worried for New Zealand when they lost to the West Indies. It's a bit of a Mm. here they go again, especially how well they played against India in the lead up and you just, and and flogging Australia in the warm up game. You're thinking maybe, just maybe, this is New Zealand's year. They lose a thriller to the Windies to start. So thankfully they've arrested that. They've knocked off India, who will be competitive the whole way through. India flogged Pakistan. So Mm -hmm. Pakistan and Bangladesh are not from two uh, in both cases likewise England but in the case of Bangladesh and Pakistan um, it's going to be essential that every team that plays those two games wins those two games there'll mm-hmm. be no room for a little slip up no 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 little errors possible you can almost sort of forget about Australia just discount them yep. they're, they're, they're two from two at the top Rachel Haynes Ho Flint uh, made a big hundred and uh, they, I've just decided that's what the nickname should be um, and you know, I mean they made 310 against England absolutely blitzed them with the generous contribution of many, many wides. Um, England bowled 21 wides in that game and ended up losing it by 12 runs. So you do the math, as uh, a, a guy I used to hang out with used to say all the time. I think that for England, in a way, 
they're lucky they've had Australia first up. That's just dealt with. Yeah. You know, but the psychological scarring that would have, they might not say it was there, but must have been there with what happened in the women's ashes when they were they were thrashed. Mm. Well, they, they were the, thrashed. And the time before that, in yeah. 50 over cricket. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. It wasn't as though they were... They, you know, you get to the end of the test match and it feels like it's a pretty balanced series, but the one day is they were hammered yeah. in, right? Absolutely pumped in. They weren't competitive in the last two. And the thing of saying, oh, we were tired, I mean, your tour was two weeks before that. I'm not sure it, it, it stands up in the same way as, you know, the, Maybe, the yeah. end of a, a long trip overseas. Yeah, that, that's right. So then they look like they are going to win their second game. In fact, that I mean, they nearly pull it out of the fire. And by that, I mean, there was a wonderful rally between Kate mm. Cross and Sophie Eccleston for the ninth wicket. And just when they got to a position, having put on 50-odd, to cruise home in the last three overs, there's a freakish run out at the non-striker's end, off the fingers into the stumps yep. of Kate Cross, who's backing up. You know, that's just one of those things. Well, we, no we no bad it. error there. Lovely shot from Eccleston, too. She clouted it. Yeah. And then Anya Shrubsole, who took some tap earlier in the game, gets bowled coming down the track trying to flick uh, out towards mid-wicket. And again, that, that's fine. It's your number 11. You're not expecting them to make the winning runs, but mm. it probably um, emphasises that uh, Shrubsole uh, hasn't had a great start. Well, didn't bowl well in that game and has been a little bit in and out of England teams uh, in the last two years or so and, and missed the series uh, through injury about 12 months ago, I think. So, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to be watching that quite closely. Mm, well, look. In theory, Anya Shrubsole bats better than an 11. So she does. I, I don't think you can really give her that latitude. But, yeah, if it's coming down to your last wicket partnership, then there's always the chance that something goes wrong. Kate Cross batted really nicely. But we talked about Anissa Muhammad before, yes. um, in, you know, in, in the preview that we did for this tournament. And I think this is consistent across both West Indies games, right? So they've won two. And, and this is a team that has been awful at times in the last few years, like, mm. like incredibly poor. At times, they played a long series against South Africans, lost most of those games, but did have some moments. Uh, but it, it, it was clutch play in both of their games. So their New Zealand game, they were defending six off the last over. And Deandra Dotton hadn't bowled in, I think, three years in one-day international yep. cricket. Had, a, had you know bad shoulder problems, all the rest of it. And she said, give me the ball. And she bowled the last over. She took two wickets, affected a run out and won the game. I yep. mean, that's... You know, when you can pluck that from thin air from someone who hasn't bowled an over in the game to that point, fantastic. And then when they're playing against England, I mean, look, they, they made a sort of middling target 225 off the top of my head and um, England were cooked chasing it. They were they were sort of eight for 150-odd and looked nowhere near it. And then the Cross and Eccleston partnership happens, which gets them within. They needed nine from 18 balls at the point right. that, yep. that Cross got out. Uh, you know, unluckily at the non-striker's end, but... It was Anissa Muhammad who's been playing since 2003, who's, you know, been all around the world and more, who was, I think she's on 178 wickets now in ODIs, so she's just behind Catherine Fitzpatrick. She's in that pack of players vying for second spot on the list. Mm. There's four of them playing in this in this current mm. World Cup. Mm. And she's the one who was who, who had the presence of mind to get the hand on the ball to flick it back onto the stumps and effect a run out, and then she takes the wicket, you know, and she does that with three overs to go when it looks like it's England's game. So that sort of calmness in, in the face of the very end of the game, that's what got, got West Indies home. So they've got two wins. They're happy. They're looking good. Yeah, and just on Anissa Muhammad, I think I pensioned her off a little bit. I, I thought mm. of her as being similar to Jenny Gunn. Very capable in the previous era of women's cricket, mm -hmm. but the game had overtaken her. She's not like she's too old to play in the team still. She might be no, 34, I think. but I just felt like the way she bowls, that, yeah, the game had, she was of a different era. 
but it, it says a bit about experience in major tournaments and and confidence and calm and what you described before. Uh, so, yeah, good on her for proving the doubters, in this case me, uh, very much wrong at the start. <laughs> the haters. Of, take that, haters. Yeah, take the haters. haters. No, she, yeah, good on her. Um, and hopefully she's influential the whole way through. I'd love nothing more than... I mean, you look at that depth chart. Australia, New Zealand, uh, West Indies, South Africa, they're the top four then, then mm-hmm. uh, India and England outside of it. If you're doing, if you're doing it like a... Um, if you're marking up a field before, you would say it's Australia one, the one seed. Mm-hmm. England's still probably the two seed. That's pro- that, that to an extent is a graduated thing, but grandfather called, thing. I think England are gone. Yeah, yeah. Let, hear me out. If you were doing it before the tournament, okay. you would probably say sure. Australia the one seed, England the two seed, New Zealand the three seed. Again, that's a little bit grandfathered from back in the day when they were the big mm-hmm. three, but bear with me. Maybe South Africa at four, India at five, West Indies at six. Although you can make a case for any of the, those three teams to be four, five, and six. Sure. Interesting. You know, in fact, I would definitely have Windy six out of that, out of that lot. If I, the Windies yeah, become, I would have had New Zealand five, Windy six. Yeah, and and, and, and India, India four third, in that scenario. Right. India third, South Africa four for me. But anyway. Sure. Either yeah. way, the point I'm trying to get to is that you would have the Windy six. So would I. Yes. But capable of beating any team in the world. Yeah. Have won a World Cup. In the T20 format before, a number of those players uh, played in the final in 2013 in the 50 over 2013, final. and of course, you know, they were achieved in 2016. I know it's a long time ago, but they're a young team, and thus a lot of them are a still playing. Hayley Matthews, 100, uh, to start this tournament, case in point. She was the player of that tournament at age 17, I think, player mm-hmm. of that final, I should say. So it's not completely out of step with the rhythms of women's cricket that the Windies might end up finishing, say, no. third, where they are at the moment. And that's a cut amongst the pigeons. Suddenly that means one of, if not two of, you know, England, India, South Africa are going to miss out. Mm. Uh, and and that is good. That's great competitive tension. That's what we have in a men's tournament, frankly, which sometimes you don't always feel like you got in the women's tournament. But it demonstrates how women's World Cups have matured to the point where you've got six teams genuinely who can beat each other. And that's fantastic. And and look, if, if Pakistan or Bangladesh grab a scalp along the way, all the better. It would be wonderful if Pakistan achieved that as they did against India in the T20 World Cup in 2016 or against West Indies as they did in the T20 World Cup in 2020. That'd be fabulous. And Bangladesh, of course, weren't, weren't there five years ago that they've beaten Sri Lanka into that final spot. But yeah, as I said at the start, every team will need to make sure they, they consolidate uh, by beating Team 7 and 8. And, you know, the Pakistanis um, took on Australia with... A bit of resistance. I had a big partnership yep. there. Abisma Marif making a half century, um, and and the. I think my image of the tournament is was was her holding her baby after yeah. the game with about nine of the Indian players all crowded around <laughs> her, sort of poking, you know, waving and poking and, and making kissy faces. And, you know, when when you're always talking about this kind of geopolitical instability <laughs> and, and difficulty between the between the nations, um, that that tells you that when it's between the cricketers, there's nothing but love. Yeah, let's send in the Pakistan captain to do a bit of that diplomatic work behind the scenes. We've uh, obviously been tracking pretty closely the back and forth of our, of our dear friend, Virat Sundaresan, who's been able to get into Pakistan to cover the, the second and third test, but all the struggles he had getting a visa. Well, yeah, Bismar Maruf, who's the skipper of this team, uh, I've 
always enjoyed the way she goes about it, but talking to the media, interviewing her or um, or playing, batting or bowling, she's an excellent all-rounder. Mm. And now the leader of uh, the 50-over team, uh, having uh, inherited the armband off Sun Amir. Well, she's a fabulous leader, excellent cricketer, and, um, yeah, great that she's able to combine that with being a mother, uh, which hasn't always been easy for Pakistani players. Uh, there was a lovely piece uh, in The Guardian by Tanya Aldred in The Spin uh, this week that went to this point that typically Pakistani women have reached the point of getting married or having a child and, and had to had to withdraw from the national team. Bismar Maru's uh, not done that mm. and more power to her for it. Well, uh, South Africa, your fave, uh, yep. Adam, they've only played once and they've got one win and they, they'll, they're playing Pakistan probably before this show comes out. So that's going to be significant. Um, well, they get they, they effectively get four points. If they win that, yeah. they, they, they've got four points in the mm-hmm. bank, they've dealt with their banana peels mm-hmm. And they can kind of... Yeah, it's, they can build. It's, well, they, it's like New Zealand in the 2019 World Cup. Do you want to play the, the relatively weaker teams first and, and build up against the stronger teams? Or, or do you want to, you know... I, I think this is good for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I always carry on about South Africa's women. Yeah. And I think they could win the tournament. I genuinely believe it. late strikers. South Africa's women. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely believe it. And, you know, that they were they were... I wouldn't say hard held by Bangladesh, but they only won by 32 runs. A, a couple of times during the test match at, at Royal Pindi last week, Jeff, we, we described the it, it feeling a little bit like a tour match. Mm-hmm. Those games won't feel like World Cup games. They should, but they probably won't because mm-hmm. they'll win them comfortably. They should win them comfortably. Then it's game on. And then yeah, it, 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 it'll be the hard run home. They'll need to win probably three of the five <laughs> It's hard to know for sure because of the log jam. Yeah. If Australia yeah. beat everybody. Well, and don't forget, don't forget Bangladesh knocking off India in that Asia Cup absolutely, final. Don't, absolutely. Don't forget I mean, Bangladesh playing really well against Australia at Canberra, I think it was, when uh, yes, that's I was right. there in the T20 World Cup. Yeah, they had a good start to that game, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, they've, they've got their moments. You never know what can happen at the, uh, the university ground at Dunedin or wherever it is that you're <laughs> turning out. Um, but a couple of big ones this weekend, West Indies and India and then New Zealand, Australia on the Sunday. So uh, okay. we'll know a lot more about how the table looks after that. And we'll talk a lot more about it uh, on the weekly show next week. So yeah. what we're going to do on that front is there'll be obviously a test match at Karachi, which we will be extremely busy working on uh, with radio, with SCN and all the other various commitments, the Daily Show and you know, the videos we're doing and so on. Uh, and then once we get to Lahore, we'll record the weekly show on about, I think the test starts Saturday, so Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, about Thursday next week. Around this time next week, we'll get the chance to do another weekly show where, of course, there, there are lots going on around the cricketing world that we want to talk about. We might try and pick up an interview while we're over here as well, fingers crossed, uh, that relates to the, the series that we're covering. So, uh, yes, we're going to be busy boys, but um, thanks to everybody who's been watching and listening to the daily shows. They look really good too because of the you know, sort of backdrop dusk in Pakistan. It's, it's quite attractive. So if you're only listening listening to us you might consider um, watching us on youtube as well yeah i, I keep it, it it's quite a romantic feel i know it's mostly um because of smog which is less romantic when you think about it but this those sort of smeary egg yolk sunsets yeah. and then the azan the call to prayer i know i keep writing about it in, in pieces but it's it's such a sort of eerie atmospheric sound when you know the imam at the at the top of the tower i'm not sure if they actually go up the tower anymore if it's probably just on a pa these days but um you know singing out to tell people to to come to prayer we we just heard it then we were um talking to ashton agar weren't we down um by the 
on the tennis courts, mm. uh, such as the nature of this trip that we, we have to be separated by a net in order to yeah. talk to the Australian players. On the net. Um, but it's a vast improvement to the Zoom screen. In fact, on that note, why don't we drop in, as we come towards the end of the show, why don't we just drop in here an excellent answer from Ashton Agar talking about the influence of Shane Warne on him as a little boy. First of all, I just want to send a whole heap of love to his family, and I feel so much for them. I didn't have a lot to do with Shane, but when I uh, debuted at Trembridge, I know he came to Manchester, so we played at Lords, and I didn't play the third test at Manchester, but he did a bit of work with Michael Clark and myself. To be honest, I wasn't bowling well at all, and I, I could feel that. And he was like so positive, so encouraging, pumping my tyres up massively, and he made you feel something. I think when he spoke, he always made you feel something, and he loved spin bowling so much, and that passion certainly rubbed off on me that day. You know, even when you feel like things aren't going so well bowling-wise, being able to still compete, keep yourself in the game, have some presence about you and use your mind to get you through, that was so present. You know, I could really feel that when he spoke. And I guess Warnie, you know, like he was just someone I looked up to as a kid. I loved watching him bowl. Um, I had DVDs of him growing up. I reckon I've watched every single video on YouTube um, of him bowling. Uh, and I've learned a lot from him. So he's had such a big impact on so many people around the world. You know, it's something that'll never be forgotten. That was Ashton Agar, and this has been The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Uh, thank you for listening in to the show and listening to us rummage around in the steamer trunks of our memories. Yeah, and it felt that way sometimes. It's been a few hours since we recorded the first have along that conversation. We had about Warney Was, and a lot of it was just straight up stream of consciousness, yeah. and I think that's fine. That's what it's supposed I, to I be. I hope you enjoyed the way it went. It wasn't planned at all we didn't take a single note well I didn't um, as opposed to normal where I spend a lot of time preparing to speak note taker Um, but um, it just felt like you know I probably stumbled over my words and spoke too fast and spoke too much but it just felt like that was the that was the way to do it this week just got to do do things do what you feel as warning that's the way he lived Uh, (laughs) just 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 do what seems I really liked that quote that came out during the week just because I sometimes do stupid things doesn't mean I'm a stupid person (laughs) In a way, that's the whole story in one line, in his own words. Uh, well, this has been it uh, for The Final Word. We'll be back with you for story time and the daily shows from Pakistan. Uh, thanks to everybody on Patreon who funds the show and supports the show. You're the reason we're able to keep doing it. Feel free to jump on there at patreon.com slash the final word if you have not done so. And uh, cheers to Brick Lane and Woodstock and our other supporters. This is on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. It's edited by Dave Collins. And it's hosted by us. We'll see you next time. So you know what I meant here. I had to go about it.